listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up guys? Welcome into the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Hani. Joining with me, as always, it's Zeeshan. Yo. Alright, man. So the playoffs are still underway. We have The first round is concluded, and by the time I'm recording, the second round is... We're just so in the middle or near the end of the second round of the, of the 2022 playoffs. It's been a bit of an exciting playoff so far. Yeah, man. Um, unfortunately, injuries have started to creep up again, which yeah. seems to happen like every single playoffs now at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of unavoidable now. Yeah, but not, but we are still getting some good games, still some good competition here and there. And the teams that are still left are probably are the top four teams in each conference. So we're getting some good quality basketball games between each conference, which is pretty exciting to say the least. But with the playoffs kind of going on, it's time we start shifting our focus over to some of the teams that are no longer in the playoffs. And some of those teams that, you know, are gonna are starting to prepare for their offseason, they're starting to really think about how they're going to improve their team for the future. And there's two teams in particular we want to start off with. You know, as you all know, we usually love to do our off-season outlooks. And this time, we want to start off with the Toronto Raptors and the Utah Jazz. Both teams... Uh, eliminated in the first round of the playoffs and both teams in kind of different directions in terms of you know they have options of where they can go you know there some positive and obviously some negative and ultimately speaking both these two teams are kind of in the NBA no man's land at this point yeah both teams kind of finished in the exact same spots both teams were fifth seeds in the respective conferences both teams got eliminated in the first round in six games However, the state of both teams um, is drastically different. The outlook um, on both teams is very different indeed. So it'll be interesting to break down, you know, two teams that on paper are similar, but in, you know, in practicality are very different. Yeah. But before we get started, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on all the various platforms. You can obviously find us on YouTube. But of course, any other podcasting platform, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio, basically wherever you can get a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under Podcast. So definitely subscribe so you don't miss more great content, more great off-season content uh, in the near future. And we also have our website, which has is our central hub. So anything that you want to find on our podcast, you can find us on the upandunderpodcast.com. Yep, it's our central hub for the show. But starting us off with the Toronto Raptors, because, uh, I mean, if you can't already tell, it's kind of more of, our, more of our priority team at this point. But nevertheless, the Raptors finished the season with a 48-34 and 34 record, shattering expectations with, team, with, I don't know, analysts thinking they were only going to win like 35 games or something like that. Um, but the Raptors finished the season fifth in the Eastern Conference after a very slow start to the season. Like, honestly speaking, the beginning of the season, we don't really like to talk about it. But it was a lot of figuring things out. Obviously, you know, there was some bright moments with Fred Van Vliet being great. But there was a ton of injuries. Like, Pascal Siakam missed the beginning of the season because of injury. OG Ananobi in and out of the lineup. Um, you had a rookie, Scotty Barnes, kind of working his way in. It was definitely a struggle. And there was moments in the season where the Raptors, you know, what we thought their defense would actually be their strong suit was actually holding them back versus their offense. Now it kind of evened out where they ended up finishing the season on a strong, you know, finishing the season strong. They didn't have to go through the play in, which I was very happy for. And they finished the season with the 14th in offensive rating, 10th in defensive rating. And, you know, they made it to the first round of the playoffs. They played a, a good Philadelphia team. 
And they, I mean, obviously, the first two and a half games were pretty bad for the Raptors, but they took well, control. Also, the last half of the last game. Yeah, but they took control in that middle part of the series. Like, they really made it difficult for Joel Embiid. They made it difficult for James Harden. And they ended up losing the series in six games, but they put up a pretty good fight in terms of where they were at. You know, they put up a decent fight. Particularly for a lot of these guys, you know, it being their first taste of playoff experience. Gary Trent's been in the playoffs, but he never had the role that he does right now. Um, Precious Achua, this is literally his first taste of playoffs. Same on as Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes, he's a rookie. Um, Chris Boucher, this is basically his first taste of playoff action as well, even though he's like 29 at this point. Um, and then obviously Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet taking on bigger roles in this year's playoffs. So this was very, this was a very impressive performance when you consider the fact that this was a lot of new territory for these Raptors. Yeah, and something I wanted to add on to what I, uh, like our kind of a format for the offseason outlooks is I wanted to some, highlight some of like, some of the key guys, some of the guys that the Raptors really have uh, among their core. Obviously, Pascal Siakam had a career year. I'm hoping he's going to be All-NBA. I think he absolutely deserves it. And he had a pretty solid playoff performance, to be honest with you. when From what we were expecting him to have you know, in previous seasons... I think he took command in a lot of big moments in the playoffs, uh, especially going out at guys like Joel Embiid, James Harden. Obviously, everyone went out George's Niang. <laughs> but, you know, Pascal Siakam had a great year, and, you know, that should definitely be recognized. Yeah, besides, like, the first two games of the playoffs, I think he figured it out in, like, Game 3. Yeah. Um, well, after Game 3. Well, after the- Game 3, yeah. And then, like, again, he, he finished out pretty pretty well. I think it was just... He he was trying to get his teammates involved. In the last month of the season, we remember he was really good at passing out the ball. Fortunately, those shots just weren't going in in the first, like, two and a half games. So, I mean, uh, credit to him. He figured it out. I think we saw, towards the end, we saw the version of, the ideal version of Pascal Siakam in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of another guy, I mean, Fred Van Vliet, he definitely battled out injuries to end the season. But in the beginning of the season, he was incredible, man. He was he was the Raptors' best player during that that stretch, um, where they needed him most. But Pascal was still trying to find his footing, and he became an All Star because of it, and deservedly so. Did he eventually get burned out because of the the workload? Yes, and I'll talk and I'll touch upon that a little bit later in terms of their needs for the team going forward. But Fred VanVleet, no doubt about it, was sensational this season, and you know it it kind of sucked that he missed the last two games of the playoffs, but. You know, hopefully that's something to build off of for this for the for the future for Fred VanVleet. Then of course Scotty Barnes winning Rookie of the Year. Obviously, you know everyone ate their words basically after criticizing the pick, but he was fantastic. Precious Achua we touched on great breakout season. Honestly, he pretty much gave me a heart attack and also made me so excited for like in the same literally in the same game. Um, that's Precious Achua, man. Listen, the the turnaround that he had from the first half of the season to the second half of the season was absolutely insane. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Bro, it was since the All-Star break, basically. Basically, Right after he looked off Desmond Bain (laughs) and popped that air ball three is basically when he just became like 20 times better. Yeah. So he was was fantastic. Gary Trent Jr., obviously, very good season for him. And Ochi Ananobi actually had a pretty underrated playoffs, to be honest with you. He was, at at times, one of the Raptors' best players in the playoffs. So definitely some key players on the Raptors. They do have some notable free agents, obviously, to go over. Chris Boucher, obviously, is their first one. Uh, he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, I don't know what the Raptors are going to do with Chris Boucher yet. 
I'd honestly let him walk because he's gonna command a little bit more money than what he's making now, which is about seven million. Um, but ultimately speaking, I think the Raptors need someone better for that role or a better long-term fit for that role than Chris Boucher. And again, we touched him when he's 29. So he's kind of peaked as a player in general. Then, of course, there's Thaddeus Young, who was a trade deadline acquisition and probably a very, very smart acquisition by Masai Ujiri. He traded a basically a non-option in Goran Dragic, turned him into uh, Thaddeus Young, who was a great veteran presence, great locker room guy, and honestly... A good leader in the playoffs for the for this team, and he was good on the court as well. Not yeah. just you know he, his veteran presence, but he was actually pretty good on bro, the court. He made Joel Embiid touch earth. <laughs> like, yo. yeah, that was bro. We, when was the last time we saw Thad Young do something? Like bro, that? he was also his three point shot also came to life with the Raptors too, yeah. which is pretty insane considering he hasn't never been a shooter in his career. So Thad Young is definitely a great is a, he's going to be interesting option. He's an unrestricted free agent himself. Then of course the Raptors have their. I guess they're certified Nick Nurse doghouse members. Uh, Utah Watanabe is a restricted free agent. He's probably gone. Uh, man, I, I from, a, from just from the standpoint of the player and the guy, I'd like to keep Utah around. But yeah, I mean, he's probably gone. In all honesty, Justin Champagne, he might actually be back. To be honest with you, just because he well, he probably will be back. He's Nurse on a did like him. Yeah, he's on a two way right now. So um, yeah. D- you know, he, he actually got minutes as a rookie. Nick Nurse really liked him. He'll be back. He has There's room for him to grow, but I think he showed enough to warrant coming back. And then, obviously, Sri Mahailuk has a player option for this season. He probably will end up taking it unless somebody overpays for him. Which, after this season, I don't know who really will. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, Sri Mahailuk, uh, definitely. Well, unless he just wants to leave. Yeah. Then, you know, which, again, I don't really blame him. Maybe he'll get some more opportunities somewhere else. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. The key for Nick Nurse is that he wants defense, which brings me into actually the needs of this team. And if anyone has watched the playoffs or the Raptors at all this season, the biggest thing we need, literally, is a we need a starting center with some size. Like, we tried to make it work with Kemberch, uh, Precious Achua, you know, tried to make that sort of tandem work. But the one thing that was so glaring was the fact that we didn't have anybody over 7 feet or, or anyone over really 6'10", to be honest with you, on the team, you know. And that really hurt us in terms of we didn't have anyone to throw at Joel Embiid who can stop him down low or at the very least just be a deterrent in the paint. Like, it was literally a free-for-all down there. Um, so Yeah, I'll- like, again, not even just Joel Embiid, just every center that we came across in general. It wasn't it wasn't good. That You saw that in the defensive rebounding numbers where I think we're, like, we're a top five worst team in defensive rebounding. Um, now, again, it helps. We talked about, you know, the 6-9 lineup and their ability to play defense. But defense ends with getting a rebound. And the Raptors really suffered um, on the defensive end with defensive rebounding. They weren't able to close out possessions. And if you're not able to close out possessions, you giving an NBA team a second or third opportunity, they're going to score. They're not going to miss two times in a row. And, like, I think Fred Van Vliet kind of said it best. It's the, having the 6-9 lineup, we saw it worked at times in the playoffs. It was actually really cool to see. But it's a, it's a nice tool to have in the back pocket. You can't just have that as your only card to play, you know? So you got to have other options. Not to mention match. it wears down the players, too. It does, for sure. So definitely getting a starting center who has some size and obviously can and can defend at a decent level. Like, we're talking about an average to above-average level, and who can rebound. We're not looking for any uh, offensive stud or anything like that. We're just looking for a guy who can defend and rebound 
and maybe set a good screen or two. So that's the first need for the Raptors. Second need, point guard depth. Like, I said it before, Fred Van Vliet basically broke down to near the end of the season because he basically led the league in minutes for majority of the season. And that's mainly because Nick Nurse did not have any other options to play who could legitimately run the team. Now, there were times where Scotty Barnes took on Portland Dirty or Pascal Siakam, but then again, their minutes were also quite high to begin with as well. So finding a guy who Nick Nurse can reliably trust to be that facilitator and give Fred Van Vliet that much-needed rest, definitely something the Raptors will need to look for. Well, ideally, that would be Malachi Flynn, who I'm sure you'll touch upon afterwards, but ideally, that would be Malachi Flynn. But um, we remember during that point in the season where Fred Van Vliet kind of got shut down towards the end of the season, Malachi Flynn was actually playing pretty well, mm-hmm. right? And then he got injured after, what, two games or something? And So, yeah, yeah, it just wasn't ideal. It wasn't an ideal situation. Another name you didn't bring up was Delano Banton as well, who showed some flashes at the beginning of the season. He can be a pretty interesting option to play, you know? But obviously, again, with Malachi, still a rookie, still raw, still needs to grow in some areas, especially his offensive game. And some of his decision-making needs to improve for sure. But the Raptors do have some options. And Masai Ujiri touched upon this on his, on his presser was that he wants to see internal growth. He brought up Malachi Flynn's name. He wants to see some, some growth on him. And I think, I think if we give him some consistent minutes and a consistent leash, I think he might actually do some well. Like I think sh- based on the way they've been talking, I think that is the plan this year. right? Rookie Malachi Flynn, he gets the minutes towards the end of a tanking season. Second year, you're trying to compete. Malachi Flynn's not really... He doesn't really know what his role is. He doesn't know what he's trying to do. Going into his third year, he has those two years under his belt. Um, He has a full season of, like, non-Tampa basketball under his belt. He kind of understands what he needs to do now, how he's going to play, what his role is going to be, and has, like, a clear-cut focus on, you know, his goals going into the season. So I think this year is going to be where we see the true Malachi Flynn, whether it's you know, what we hope it's going to be or whether it's an end-of-the-bench option that, you know, we saw at times during this year. I think we're going to see the true Malachi Flynn this year. Yeah, I I still have some faith in Malachi, but I still like what I saw from Delano this past season. Uh, and f- the next thing they w- the Raptors will probably be looking for is a consistent bench scorer. The bench was honestly atrocious for a lot of the season. Like, it got to the, so bad to the point where just, like, Nick Nurse just stopped playing the bench. He just started playing, like, six guys a game. And... It was really sad considering we did have some guys who you, on paper, you thought would be capable enough to at least stay afloat at the bench. You know, like, like Utah watching how touch us, FEMA, high look. It just didn't work at all. And, you know, they just need a guy who can score off the bench because literally the, the bench could not produce any offense at all. And that really hurt the team. So getting a guy who can definitely score is going to be something I feel like something they're going to look into for sure. The the fourth thing I think they should they'll be looking into I think they need to resign Thaddeus Young. They traded a first round pick for him, but not just ignoring the fact that they traded the pick for him, but the fact that he was a good veteran presence for them. He was good for them. He likes it here. He's one of the first vets in a long time that has said that the Raptors are a first class organization, and he's a respected veteran too. So the fact that he you know he was impressed with everything. He was a good fit. I think it it makes sense, and you can likely resign it for a pretty team friendly deal, uh, all things considered. And then lastly, I think the biggest thing that the Raptors need to do is they need to trade one of the bigs or let go of one of their bigs on the depth chart, and like so they can get some depth in other positions. Like the right now, 
too heavy on bigs and they don't have enough enough forwards or enough guards to kind of like they don't really have a great balance right now. They're too heavy on bigs that don't really address the issues. Exactly. So I don't know if that's maybe moving a Kem Burge or that is ideally literally just moving Kem Burge. or letting Chris Boucher walk. I don't mind keeping uh, uh, Kem Burge as long as uh, Chris Boucher is gone. Like if we keep Boucher and Kem Burge, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so, but ideally you'd rather resign Chris Boucher because he did again. He did have a good season. Like right? pressures like, is staying for sure. Like yeah. no, he's untouchable. Chris Boucher, his chemistry. Really, with the bench unit was especially really with good. that young, with that young, uh, and with Precious as well. Like that was good things to see, right? Um, but it's just how does what's Chris Boucher gonna command, and yeah. then how do you flip Cambridge and turn him into you know a better option? It's a you? tradable player for sure. Cambridge's contract, it's not a bad contract to move, but you know, obviously, it's just a decision they're gonna have to make is who they prefer to keep and who they prefer to let go. Uh, so those were the Raptors and some of the needs for the Raptors. Obviously, in terms of draft, uh, they traded away their first-round pick to the Spurs, but in a weak draft class, it really doesn't matter because they still have Detroit's second-round pick, which is the 33rd pick in this upcoming draft. I don't really expect much from it. I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors moved that pick, but at the same time, they'll pick somebody, and Masai Ujiri has a pretty good history in picking picking players now. We can't really doubt him anymore, <laughs> especially late, in late, late, late picks. He, he scores big. Uh, so that was the draft. And then finally, some potential free agent options. Um, this is obviously where we kind of think about some hypothetical free agents the Raptors could go after and target. First and foremost, the first name that pops into my head, especially when I was talking about starting like a center, is JaVale McGee. Guy who has playoff experience, knows his role, can defend at an average to above average level, can collect rebounds. Lob threat. We, we lob really threat. needed a lob threat as well and this season. And he won't command a ton of money. So... That's the big thing. The only thing, the question with JaVale McGee is, will he leave Phoenix or will he leave a winning situation? Because he's going to be sought after by a lot of contending teams. Basically everyone. Because again, he's just experienced and he knows his role, which is crazy to say considering where JaVale McGee started at the beginning of his career to where he is now with three rings. <laughs> it's amazing what, 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 it, what happens when you go on to a good team. Uh, that was, so that was the first option. The next one was Yusuf Nurkic. Now Nurkic... Um, ideally, he would be great in terms of an offensive big. He can be serviceable defensively. But again, there are going to be moments where Nick Nurse is going to ask him to be switchable, be adaptable. Will Nurkic be able to accommodate for what Nick Nurse is looking for? Now, again, when I think of Yusuf Nurkic, it reminds me of Jonas Valanciunas, another guy who really didn't fit the Nick Nurse mold. So, And also the fact that Yusuf Nurkic can't really stay healthy either. Yeah, well, that's the problem, right? Yusuf Nurkic ideally is... At his best, he's the Yusuf Nurkic we saw when he first got traded to Portland, which was basically an all-NBA level center. However, since then, he's had his moments of being Yusuf Nurkic, but then like you mentioned, him just not being able to stay on the court and then him coming back and trying to make up for time and then getting injured again, it just it hasn't worked. And he was supposed to have left Portland like a while ago, but obviously like contractually things didn't happen. Um, but you know, this, he's in all likelihood, not going to stay in Portland. He's going to be sought after a little bit, but his mark is really indecisive to me. I don't, I don't really know what his mark is. The injuries definitely have, have put a lot of teams with concern with Yusuf Nurkic. Another name is Serge Ibaka. Now, obviously Ibaka notoriously left the Raptors for whatever stupid reason, because he wanted extra years and we wanted to save money for Giannis, but whatever. How'd that turn out? 
Uh, I mean, he ended up with the Clippers, and like Kawhi, he ended up ringless. Uh, but still, you know, Serge Ibaka, he got traded to the Bucks. He Obviously, after back surgery, he hasn't necessarily been the Serge Ibaka that we remember on the Raptors. But I think if there's any team who Serge can kind of rekindle some of that some of that fire that he had with, it's Toronto. And first and foremost, he's not going to be as expensive as he was commanding when he was with the Raptors. And second off, like... Nick Nurse knows the player, we, he knows the system, and we can probably make the most out of Serge Ibaka for whatever whatever years he still has remaining in the And again, he's not going to play an insane amount of minutes. Exactly. Those minutes are going to precious too. Exactly. So I think when you bring Serge into that serviceable role, it might actually work. A wild card option is Thomas Bryant. Now, Thomas Bryant is a free agent with the Wizards right now. And, you know, with the play of Daniel Gafford... Thomas Bryant might just look expendable, especially after his injury, after the, you know, I guess the up, the rising of Daniel Gafford for the Wizards. They might look to let let Thomas Bryant walk, and maybe the Raptors can take a flyer on him and bring him in. He's a young player, can still grow. Obviously, injuries are a bit of a concern. But Indiana connection with OG. Yeah, Indiana connection with OG. So Thomas Bryant isn't a bad option at all. From the forward standpoint, Kyle Anderson, slow-mo. Uh, definitely going to be somebody the Raptors might look for because he can defend. He's long. Playmake. Very slow. But you know what? It works. He's a vet, he's a savvy player, man. I think Nick Nurse would really like to utilize a player like that. And then finally, for like an end of a bench or kind of like a floor space or kind of exactly what we want to see Mahai look for, I'd say maybe look into a guy like Jeremy Lamb. He's going to be cheap. He's going to be serviceable. And honestly, I feel like he wants to be in a winning situation too. So maybe bringing him in might help the Raptors out a bit. But overall, I mean, the Raptors, they had a strong season. They overachieved based off of what they were looking for. And they have a strong core, but they kind of need to start shoring up some of those pieces around that core to really become contenders. But they've had a, they had a great season and a good outlook moving forward. Yeah, speaking of, uh, you know, teams having a great season, uh, Utah, the Utah Jazz did not exactly have a great season. And particularly when we talk about the contrast and the outlook for the Toronto Raptors versus the Utah Jazz, they're completely different. The Toronto Raptors have a very bright future, whereas the Utah Jazz are faced with a lot of questions this offseason. They finished the season 49-33, and 33, finishing 5th in the Western Conference. They, like the Toronto Raptors, lost in the first round in six games. They lost to the Dallas Mavericks. Who didn't have Luka for the first two games, by the yeah. way. Um, they were first in offensive rating, ninth in defensive rating. So they slipped in defensive rating, though, again, they did have the best offensive rating. Um, and the third best overall net rating. For the Utah Jazz, like I mentioned, they have a lot of questions. There's a lot of big changes coming or expected to come for Utah. The one caveat in this whole scenario is that it's Utah, right? It's one of those markets that notoriously does not really make many moves. Like, for example, um, an Indiana Pacers, when we talk about, I don't know, just like another sport that's coming to me, like a Green Bay Packers type of team. Teams that don't really make that many changes, though Green Bay's kind of shifted that direction in the past couple of years. Except but, you let go of Devontae Adams. <laughs> well, he was commanding a lot of money, to be fair. And if you're going to re-sign uh, Aaron Rodgers, then... But you yeah, didn't that... get anyone to replace him. But either way, like Utah is one of those teams that isn't really a prime hotspot well, for free agents. Is not... Any development or building that they're going to do is probably going to be internal. Well, the thing with the Utah Jazz is they're stuck where... I guess the Raptors were back in 2018, where they kept... 
Like, they have a good team that consistently makes it to the playoffs, but they get bounced in the first and second round. And that level of mediocrity eventually starts to wear within, especially on front offices that are investing a lot into the players that they have, which the, the Jazz have clearly done, and the fact that the results aren't coming in, especially when you consider the Western Conference is getting weaker, which means the Jazz's opportunities would you would think would actually increase with that happening. Well, but, again, they had a prime opportunity last playoffs, right? That was that was their year. They were the best team, arguably, in the league. Yeah. Um, and that was just, it, that was their year. And they completely blew it in the semifinals against the Clippers team without Kawhi Leonard, right? So big changes are expected to come this uh, offseason. For example, you know, head coach Quinn Snyder is likely going to leave. Um, he's been talking about, or he's been reported to have been talking about leaving for some time. And this latest loss, it seems like he kind of just gave up the during this postseason. They need a new voice. It's gotten stale. He's probably one of the longest tenured coaches right now, active coaches in the league right now. And he'll get a job Oh, absolutely. Right absolutely. I think he just wants a change of scenery. And I think the team actually would prefer that too. Yeah. And then one of, you know, the big two in Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell is expected to leave, though the likelihood of that, um, no. I don't really think so. Um, it's hard to see them moving Donovan Mitchell, considering it's a guards league and he can get better. Like in terms of the ceiling, Donovan Mitchell's ceiling is definitely higher than Rudy Gobert's, but Rudy Gobert has a massive contract. And then when we, yeah, exactly, you mentioned it, right? Rudy Gobert is a great center, a great player in the league. But he has his limitations, and that does not help his gargantuan contract that he has, which is basically untradeable, right? So, you know, rumors, I think everyone wants, ideally, that, that pairing splits. How likely is it? Probably not. Um, in terms of their notable free agents, they have Juancho Hernan Gomez, who is on a non-guaranteed option next season. Um, he got traded, I think, like two, three times this season. Uh, so, I don't even know, like... I mean, he's an end-of-the-bench option for a lot of teams, not really more than that. Um, Hassan Whiteside, who was on a one-year deal, if I'm not mistaken, originally. Anyways, they might bring him back. They might bring him back. Hassan Whiteside um, wasn't bad as Rudy Gobert's backup. He was definitely more... Uh, I think he was serviceable. He, he was more serviceable than Derek Favors in his second well, stint in Utah. You think, what, what, what did the Jazz want? They wanted a replication of Rudy Gobert, like a baby version of Rudy Gobert, and that's basically Hassan Whiteside in a nutshell. Yeah, ideally, like the production that they got from Derek Favors the first time around in his first stint was you know, the best thing they've gotten as a Rudy Gobert backup. Derek Favors in the second stint kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Hassan Whiteside is a very service, serviceable option for them to bring back. Um, Eric Pascal, you know, he had an exciting rookie season, but then, you know, people kind of realized what he actually is as an NBA player, which is... He was traded for a second round pick and yeah. only to Utah because he was Donovan Mitchell's friend. Yeah, exactly. Basically and then it. Daniel House Jr., who was a surprise Notorious the... bubble offender, Daniel House Jr. Yeah, he had... He had it's interesting that like his value during that one season in Houston or those couple of seasons was so high, and then his value just kind of dropped off. It's and good. now that he, you know, he got onto the Utah Jazz team in the middle of the season, and probably was a top three, top four player for them. Um, he's someone that I think Utah fans really want to have back. But again, it's gonna be you know teams are looking at him saying, hey, like he can fit our bench, you know, another three and D guy. Does his job pretty well. 
um, will Utah be able to get him back? Who knows? Yeah, I think Daniel House Jr. is definitely one of those guys that really benefited of being like Houston's only defensive player for a good while. And then obviously when everyone left Houston, he was pretty bad. And after the bubble offense, that was kind of took a hit on his reputation. But then now that he got to Utah, able to focus a bit more clearly because he could not focus in the bubble for whatever reason, Um, you know, really definitely upped his game. Yeah. Um, In terms of the Utah Jazz team needs, uh, the first thing that they need to do is cut back salary. They're $10.8 million in the luxury tax, and they're $37.8 million over the cap. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about two max contracts in Rudy Gobert and oh. Donovan Mitchell. And then a $25 million cap hit for Mike Conley. Yeah. 19 for Boyan Bogdanovich. Like, it's a lot of money. It's, again, the Utah Jazz ownership invested heavily in this current iteration of the team. And unfortunately, hasn't worked out. Um, yeah. The second thing that they need to do is find a coach for potentially if Quinn Snyder decides to leave, which he likely will. Um, they need to find a new coach that will bring in a different voice, a different perspective in the locker room, change up some of the schemes, um, you know, stop making the same stale defensive scheme of, you know, put Rudy Gobert at the rim, make him do everything on defense, and nobody else play defense, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, the third thing they need to do is, I mean, they got to just try and press the reset button. Button. Whatever they can do to do that, they have to try because this current iteration of the team, like we mentioned, it's kind of reminiscent of like the 2018 Raptors team, except for the fact that Masai Ujiri, the Kawhi Leonard situation happened at the exact right moment that yeah. Masai Ujiri needed to make a move. And so... Like there's no perfect superstar you can trade for that would fix all your issues. Like, the only disgruntled superstar that you can possibly trade a Rudy Gobert for is a Russell Westbrook. Yeah. That's about it. And, again, Russell Westbrook, Mm -mm. a superstar, not really. Well, yeah. He has a superstar name, not really a superstar ability anymore. Um, And so, yeah, like I said, you have to try to press the reset button, but it is very tough if you're the Utah Jazz. They have... A couple of pseudo options. Boyan Bogdanovich, I think, is the one option that they have. Um, he's on an expiring deal now. He is making $19.5 million. So. But a team might take a flyer on him, though, because, again, he is relatively serviceable. We saw what he did with Indiana a few seasons ago in the playoffs. You know, a team might look at that and say, hey, we might be able to get something out of him. And he, he even had a couple of moments in this year's playoffs. He, you know, he had a big, what was it, fourth quarter, second half, whatever it was in like game he, five. He's just not a defensive guy. That's yeah. the big, big thing with him. And again, all you're going to ask him is play average defense, which he's shown he's capable of doing. It's just Utah, Utah players have a habit of kind of getting lazy around Rudy Gobert because he's such a good defender. You know, even if you remember like Mike Conley, um, Joe Ingles, like, uh, Royce O'Neal. In the beginning, they played good defense. Over the years, they've kind of slipped that defense. And that's because they've kind of gotten lazy with Rudy Gobert there, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Boyan Bogdanovich does have an expiring deal, which the Utah Jazz may be able to package. Um, and then you have Mike Conley's next year, which is unguaranteed, another option. However, like I said, he still has this year, which he's making around, uh, I think, 20, 25. 25 mil. And so... It's tough to it's move. It's tough. Though. And then you have to try it somehow and trade for picks because that's that seems the only way Well, I mean, out. they basically traded all their, their picks in this draft. Exactly. So. Um, the other thing they need is, I mentioned, I alluded it 
I alluded to it before, um, perimeter defense. Their over-reliance on Rudy Gobert has constantly gone exposed in the playoffs when Rudy Gobert needed to do everything. And defense just not work that way. It, it just doesn't work that way. You know, you can get away with it in the regular season, but it's not going to work in the playoffs as we've seen. Put Rudy Gobert in a better defensive situation with better defensive players around him. I guarantee you people are not, you know, making fun of Rudy Gobert the way that they do. Um, Daniel House is basically being their second best defender, and that's not really great if you're a championship contending team. No. Um, they also need a playmaker. Mike Conley has clearly regressed as a player, and he he finally looks like he's getting towards the end of the road. Um, I mean, he had a lot of injuries in his career too, so it's not like he was he like he got to Utah when he was old. He just happened to have a resurgence last season, which. Was great, but again, he's pretty old at this point in his career. And we've seen all those memes of Donovan Mitchell not passing Rudy Gobert the ball, Rudy Gobert being under the rim, like with no one around him, and them not th- passing the ball. They finished twenty seventh in assists, so well, they don't really share the ball that much. You either. touched on Mitchell, and I think that's the big thing for me is that we need to see internal growth from Donovan Mitchell as a leader, but also again, you're a star level player. You've been established as a superstar player, uh, all star. Listen, you're being paid as a superstar level player. You got to show that. Uh, like, you had some great playoff moments. Cool. You got to take that next step now. Now you got to play that defense that you weren't playing before. You got to, you know, up, improve in other areas of your game. So, I want to see some steps from Donovan Mitchell for sure. Well, even scoring, he has to improve. That's just like, yeah, you know, like bread and butter. Three point but... like, again, other areas of his game. They, they have to improve. Exactly. And as I talked about before, um, you have to try to explore the possibility of trading either Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert. However, as I mentioned, yeah. it's basically impossible. If it did happen, they would need a third team involved. Well, um, you since can... Because of salary issues. And then also, from a strictly two-team two trade, um, you know, Utah would not be getting back the picks or draft capital that they would want in a Rudy Gobert trade. And... The other team would not be would not want to give up a good player for Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell either. So well, from a two team trade, it just isn't possible either. Well, training Rudy Gobert is pretty hard to do because he's making like thirty seven to forty million dollars a he's season. He's making forty million basically like, for the next it's, three seasons. It's that's a hard deal to the the, the trade. Well, especially when you're looking at like the Russell Westbrook is impossible to trade. John Wall's deal impossible to trade. Well, again, unless they get traded for each other. Yeah, exactly. So trading for a Rudy Gobert is going to be even more impossible because you got to give up now twenty to twenty five million dollar players, and those are pretty good players usually. You can mo- you can probably trade a Donovan Mitchell, but if you're the Utah Jazz, why would you? You know, he's younger, he has a higher ceiling, as we mentioned. So why well, the other teams that? won't really want to trade for him because Utah's gonna ask for something yeah. good in return. Of course they will. It's, yeah, it's just not gonna happen. Yeah, it's tough. Speaking about uh Utah's draft picks, as you talked about before, they have no draft picks this season. Um they had a twenty twenty three first, which they then traded to the Memphis Grizzlies. Well they had a second round pick, they also traded that away. Yeah. Um and then talking about free agents, like I mentioned, their first priority should be cutting down salary cap and not really signing big name free agents or even mid-tier free agents. However, in order to fill out the rest of the team, a couple you know, names that you can throw out there are Gary Harris, um, who's you know, had his ups and downs throughout his career, but ideally a good defender. 
can sometimes play offense, I think would fit decently well in Utah, as long as he doesn't command that much money. Bringing back Ricky Rubio is also a possibility. Now, he is coming off of an injury. How good is he going to be? How much money is he going to command? Because he was having the best season of his career. But now that he came off of this injury, how many teams are going to pay him what he wants? Yeah. And will he take, for example, like a prove-it deal for a team like Utah? That's a possibility. He's Daniel familiar House, with them. So. Yeah, exactly. Daniel House Jr., we talked about bringing him back. Um, Joe Ingles, another former Utah player. Now he's kind of getting to the end of his career but i mean they traded him piece, away yeah like they i don't i don't see him really coming back because i think he's a pretty prideful guy well i mean he he <laughs> said the only team that he really wants to play for is utah so him them bringing back on a cheap deal as a like end of the bench option eh, you know whatever serviceable hassan whiteside we said you know try to bring him back as a backup to rudy gobert um, the Martin twins, Cody and Caleb Martin, both on cheap deals. Um, I think they'll get pay raises, though. Yeah. Well, um, especially, I think, who's in Miami? Cody, right? It's a Caleb. Dude, don't ask me to know. They they're, they're, they literally look the exact same. They literally play the exact same. It's so annoying to f- try to guess which one is which. But, yeah, you get what they mean. Like They're serviceable players. They can play decently well defensively, and they can play a role offensively, too. And they're young. Yeah. So. Um, and then one guy that I would say they could try and target in terms of addressing their playmaking need, trying to get younger, is a guy like Malachi Flynn. Um, you're now, taking a risk. You're taking a risk, but again, it's an attainable. Well, he won't cost a lot for yeah. you to get either. But if like you, if you believe in the player, if you want to take the time to develop him, then yeah, he could. He can definitely work. And especially again, if he doesn't play that great this season, um, he won't then, cost you a ton. Yeah, yeah. But again. The hope for us as Raptors fans is that he actually plays pretty well. Yeah, for us. <laughs> yeah. So those were kind. Of, so that was kind of the the offseason outlooks for the Utah Jazz and the Toronto Raptors. Obviously, you can kind of see what we were getting at earlier was the fact that they're two teams, kind of in different different places. Like they're at the same level at the current moment, but the outlook on them are completely different. Uh, but let us know what you guys think. Uh, where, what direction do you think the Utah Jazz or the Toronto Raptors are going to be going this offseason? So let us know. Use it in the comment section on YouTube or on social media. And finally, for the Up and Under segment for this week, we are talking NBA awards because, you know, while we've been away, all the NBA awards have been announced. And, dude, is it just me? Everyone's getting the freaking uh, they better give out. They better give out the proper trophies, man. If that's the award that they're Bro, getting, that is, that's that is terrible. That is that's horrible, terrible. man. Like, what happened to the big MVP trophy? And why would you not announce, like, for example, we'll talk about MVP, but why would you not announce it in the arena? If you're not doing the award show anyways, which, good, good. it's terrible, um, why not give the MVP and... It, it doesn't take three weeks for you guys to count the MVPs. I mean, you guys have a computer. I mean, dude, Nikola Jokic is freaking getting his, got his MVP award in freaking Serbia. Yeah. Like, uh, why would you not let the fans, you know, have that moment with the MVP? Yeah. But basically, we're just going to run down uh, the awards and kind of what you think. So, are you up on Nikola Jokic winning back-to-back MVP awards? I'm up on it, man. Like, again, all the guys deserved it. Even if, no matter how much I dislike Joel Embiid after the series... He deserved MVP. Same with Giannis. But again, Nikola Jokic, he also deserved MVP. And if you're talking about the quantity of work that he had to go through, especially without Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., him dragging that team, which should have been nowhere near the place that they were, 
um, I think you have to give it to him in terms of him. He improved on literally every facet of his game as well. He's gone better on the defensive end. He's still the best passing center of all time. Um, he's one of the best offensive big men of all time. And so, like I said, when you talk about, for example, Giannis Antetokounmpo, whose team is very good, whose team also struggled a bit in the beginning of the season, uh, Joel Embiid's team, who, you know, he missed a bunch of games, and then he also had a pretty good team as well. But when we're talking about Nikola Jokic and him being able to drag his team to the sixth seed, which, again, was close, still relatively close to a top four seed anyways, um, you know, his totality of work without... Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray, I think, really gets him the MVP award. Like, that's why I disagree with someone like Doc Rivers when he says that the analytics guys got it right with Nikola Jokic. I don't think he was an analyst. Not only was he the analytics guy, but he was the true MVP in the sense that you take Jokic away from his team, well, they're not not even scratching the playoffs. Like, that's how valuable Jokic was for them this season. Giannis kind of got the LeBron treatment where... You know, he's just been... He's just, that's he's just, just too good. At yeah, that's just who he is at this point. And Joel Embiid, again, he missed a ton of time, and his team is actually really good. And again, for Joel Embiid, you know, you might be able to win the MVP next season because Nikola Jokic isn't winning it again. No. And Giannis is still going to probably get the LeBron treatment. So, again, Joel Embiid, if I had to make my early season prediction for MVP, I would say Joel Embiid. Bro, unless Scotty Barnes turns it into another level. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. That next awesome. up, are you up or under on Marcus Smart winning the defensive player of the year? Now, you want it over Mikhail Bridges and Rudy Gobert. I'm actually up on it. I'm very glad that, like, although, again, he's a, he's a Boston Celtics but, and a notorious flopper. But I'm happy that a, finally it's someone different. Like The candidates were different besides Rudy Gobert this season than it has been for the last few seasons but also the fact that the perimeter guys are finally getting back into the limelight you know because it's it's hard Doris Burke I think was the one who said it best was that perimeter guys have the probably the hardest job defensively especially now without the hand checking and all the the rules that were implemented that were to prevent you know more more physical play these guys have to do a lot more work with switching positioning like I still remember Marcus Smart's video where he was just coaching up the nuances of defense and, you know, the fact that he he won the award is pretty encouraging, you know, to say the least. Like, that, more guys are getting recognized for their play. Not to mention he was the best defender on the best defending team in yeah. the league. So, if you want to talk about, like, you know, straight-up defensive player of the year, I think that's as basic of a objective or, a, um, you know, a requisite as you can get. Yeah. So, next up, are you up or under? And, again, I feel like there's only one answer with this one. But Scotty Barnes winning Rookie of the Year. Bro, what you think, man? Up. Listen, he deserved it, Bro, man. you know the vibes. For all of the, you know, Scotty haters out there who say, who Cade, Cade for Rookie of the Year? No, Who's again, a Scotty hater? Who can bro, hate that a, man? If you go on Reddit, man, there's a huge campaign against <laughs> Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes, bro? Um, Evan Mobley and Cade Cunningham had great years. Evan Mobley's a great player. Even, bro, this entire rookie class is Stacked very class. good, bro. Guys like Franz Wagner... Um, what happened to his brother? <laughs> his brother was terrible. Franz Wagner was good. I'm I'm forgetting who else was in the rookie of the year conversation. Uh, Franz Va- Wagner. Uh, they had uh, Herb Jones was also good. Herb Jones. Um, he's on the Warriors. Um, it'll oh, come Jonathan to me. Jonathan Kaminga. Like this class is pretty stacked. Oh, um, Chris Duarte. I liked him a lot. Yeah. They there's a Canadian. bunch of players. Yeah, Canadian. There's a bunch of players in this draft class that actually were incredible. But Scotty Barnes clearly had the best, like, overall year from start to finish. He was just so consistent. And he was a big, 
He, I think he played the biggest role on his on the, on his. And he was team. on the most winning team, basically, besides Jonathan Kuminga. Yeah. Right. So yeah, again, no brainer. Uh, next up, are you up or under on Tyler Hero winning the Six Man of the Year award? Yeah, I'm up on it. You know what? I've given I gave Tyler Hero a lot of flag, especially after you know his rap. His rap uh, rap song curse kind of took over, uh, but he had a pretty bad year. And honestly speaking, I was very critical of him. And I th- and I said you need to get better, and he got better. Like he got better in all the areas of his game that we said he was weak in. Um, and he became he accepted a role off the bench with the Miami Heat, and he excelled in that role. He came in and gave them a huge lift. I remember some of the games they pl- they played against the Raptors, and just Hero would just take over in games. His speed. His handling with the ball improved. The shooting improved significantly. His playmaking was really good. Playma- playmaking was really good. So, again, he just improved in every aspect of his game and became one of the best six men in the league. Yeah. Um, yeah. So- I regret uh, switching my preseason pick to Jordan Clark because I initially had Tyler Heroes. Yeah, you pick, did. <laughs> and then I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'll take the safe pick. So, guys, lesson out there. Uh you know, be risky sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, moving on. Uh, are you up on, on John Morant winning the most improved award? I'm under on it. Because, dude, this guy was a rookie of the year last year, man. Well, I, get, I get that he had the biggest statistical improvement out of anybody. Well, John was an MVP candidate. That's what he should have been. Like, he should have been in the MVP conversation. His teammate, Desmond Bain, should have been the most improved player. And if you're talking about guys on that list, DeJounte Murray was an all-star. He was great. And again, like he was already all defensive player, all defensive player before, right? So like I don't really agree with Dejounte Murray being on the list. The only guy that I really agreed with was Darius Garland because he was okay last season, um, but he really stepped up this season and became one of the best guards in the league. So I didn't have a problem with him being on there. But you know, guys like Desmond Bean. I think Jordan Poole was my pick to win it. He, I think, should have won it, considering the fact that he was oh, yeah. on, he was in the G League last year, bro. And now he's... None of the bandwagon Golden State Warriors fans knew who he was. Exactly. Now you're like, oh, Jordan Poole went to a freaking Warriors game, and that's all I heard. John Morant, he was great, but he should not have won. No, and he, he admitted it that much himself by giving his, his award to, uh, to Desmond Bain. So, yeah, definitely one that probably shouldn't have happened. Next up, are you up or under on Monty Williams winning Coach of the Year, uh, winning the Coach of the Year award? He also won the Coaches Coach of the Year award. Oh, I'm up on it, dude. He got robbed last year by freaking Tom Thibodeau in his freaking um, magical first season. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, he f- since the bubble, he has literally coached the Suns to an NBA Finals, uh, to the best fr- record in franchise history, and. This guy deserves to be coach of the year. Like, he turned around a basically notorious basement team in the Phoenix Suns and turned them into legitimate championship contenders. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic what he's done. He's changed the culture from top to bottom. Him and James Jones have done a fantastic job. I think he Shout deserves out to it. James Jones for working under Robert Sarver and still putting together a great job. Listen, James Jones learned one thing from LeBron, how to sit on the right bench. Yep. He learned it fantastically. Great work. Uh, so definitely up, up for Monty Williams when he won Coach of the Year. And finally, the last thing, this is not an award, but this is some a piece of news that we wanted to talk, touch upon. But are you up on, on the Sacramento Kings? Yeah, remember them? Uh, they hire Mike Brown as their new head coach. Uh, I'm on it. Listen. I give him nothing, two years. Nothing, 
Nothing against Mike Brown, but we kind of know what he is at this point. Unless he magically got better under Steve Kerr. No, 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 no. This is the Sacramento Kings. Is possible, considering, like, again, I'll eat my words with Jason Kidd. He he definitely got better. And considering the job that Frank Vogel did this past season, it lends a lot of credibility to the reports that Jason Kidd had a lot to do with the Lakers' success during their championship season um, and the season afterwards as well. Um but yeah, like Mike Brown is an average coach. The Sacramento Kings were looking at him. Mark uh, Jackson. Mark Jackson. <laughs> um, yeah, man. The screams, <laughs> apparently, um, they've, I don't know, I can't even remember exactly what happened, but there was like reports of a blow up between Joe Dumars and Vivek Ranadive as well. It's just a typical Sacramento Kings, Dude. man. Like I've, Like I've said a million times before, Sacramento fans, Minnesota fans, I will never blame you for bandwagoning to another team. I can't blame you, bro. Listen, I respect Mike Brown. I like Mike Brown. But like you said, he's not an he's not a superstar coach. Like he's an average coach. But this, I give him two years with the Sacramento Kings because this is who the Sacramento Kings are. Mike Brown will literally get zero support, no players. In fact, his team will actually regress because of how bad their culture and toxic their culture is. And then they'll just scapegoat the coach like they always do. I mean, in, except the case in Luke Walton because he was horrible. But, yeah, no, I give Mike Brown at least, I give him two years and he's out. So, good of him to getting the job, but... Shout out Paycheck. Yeah, but with the Sacramento Kings, yeah. No, good luck. But with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and, of course, YouTube. So definitely subscribe there so you never miss a great episode. More off-season content will be on the way. So definitely subscribe so you don't miss another great episode. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at upletter and under podcast. Facebook.com slash up and under podcast for all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news as they occur. Definitely check that out if you haven't done so. Also, check out our website, upandunderpodcast.com. It's a central hub for the show. It's a place where we write blog posts about every single episode. So if you don't have time to listen or watch the full thing, you can read about it all in one place on our website. So all our posts have all the video and the audio and, of course, the blog as well for you to read through. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so already. And, yeah, man, playoffs are still going on. Second round is basically near completion. Like, we are, I think, a few games away, to be honest with you, with the second round being done. And then conference finals. Like, so season is wrapping up, man, very quickly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, with that, that concludes this week's episode. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take it easy. Easy.